Our world started with a data explosion marked by an exponential growth in the volume, velocity, and variety of data being piped in and out of organizations. However, despite this new wealth in technology and data, businesses had never been so challenged to drive revenue growth. Plagued by dark, siloed, unusable data, rendering their go-to-market motions useless. Until one day, the most courageous data heroes took back control of their company's most valuable asset transforming their customer data sets from a burden to a true system of insight, capable of automating sales motions, delivering personalized marketing programs at scale, and driving predictable revenue growth for their business. Welcome to the Data Heroes podcast powered by Ringlead. Welcome, everybody, to another Talk Data to Me. We're very lucky to have a special guest today. It's Susan Walsh. She's the founder of the Classification Guru, and we're very happy to have you today. Thanks so much for having me. Excuse me in my banded up wrists. No worries. I love your background. Um, Very unique, and and, and it makes me happy, actually. Yeah, welcome to the Data Den. Very nice. So, you know, everybody that we bring onto the show, we like to ask the first question, you know, what is your backstory to becoming a data hero? Yeah. And I bet just like everybody else, um, it's the same story. I completely fell into it by accident. I started, I have a degree in commerce. Um, I went and worked um, in my 20s within um, large corporates and FMCG companies doing um, telesales, account management, national account management, um, and kind of always had this kind of goal of sales director. That was my thing. And then one day I realized actually I wasn't really enjoying that and it wasn't what I wanted to do, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. So I went and opened a ladies' clothes shop um, where I live. Um, and that was really expensive and didn't really work out. So when that had to close seven months later, um, I was desperate for some work, like just anything. So I found an ad online to go and work for a spend analytics company. And, and that's where I learned to classify spend data. Um, and I found out that I was really good at it and really enjoyed it. So that was the start of my journey. Um, and I spent five great years with that company. I grew as they grew. I had a team. I was managing projects. Um, but then kind of the challenge, it felt like I needed a new challenge, but I still wanted to work in the same area. And because I hadn't come from a data background, I'm not an analyst. I don't code. Um, you know, I, I didn't know where I could get a job doing something similar. So for me, the only other option was to set up the classification guru. So that was nearly four years ago. And uh, yeah, I'm still going strong. That's very exciting. I, I like that story. You know, you have a lot of different background to, to support, you know, your initiatives. And yeah. Um, but what would you do if you were not the classification guru? Like if your I career was not this, where would you be? Love that question. Like, so there's, there's the fantasy answer, which would be a Formula One racing driver. Um, totally don't have the skills for it, but that would be my dream job. Um, I, I think I possibly would be still struggling to find what my thing was had I not found data. 
And I'd probably be jumping from job to job every year or two and still looking for that, that right thing. Um, and, and honestly, I, I can't even imagine, you know, maybe I would have to fall back into sales and absolutely hate it again. I don't know. Um, it's not even worth thinking about. Yeah, I think you found the right, the right, the right position. You built your own company. It seems to be very successful. I've seen a ton of your content, and um, not only are you very smart and good at what you do, but I also enjoy your humor and the use of animation in your videos. It's it's Thank very you. clever. Yeah, I I guess maybe because I didn't start out in data, um, I I've never felt constrained. Or, or maybe because I have my own business as well. You know, I don't have anyone telling me how I should or shouldn't act or behave, you know, or, or this is not very business-like um, or data-like. Um, you know, I, I want people to see a fun side of data because there are some amazing data people out there who have this amazing fun side that you just never get to see. So I'm bringing a bit of that to the other side. And, and I hope that that you know, some younger people see that and it encourages them to think about choosing data as a career. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, people like you are why we created our Talk Data to Me community so that people could look up to peers mm-hmm. like you and, and get great advice. And, and, and here's a great question for you, though. What is the biggest data disaster you've ever been part of? Oh, the biggest... <sighs> Oh, that is tough. Um, personally, business-wise, I've just been working on a project that was about 10 times more complex, well, 100 times more complex than than we thought. We thought there would be a few hundred thousand rows of data, and it turned out to be three-plus million rows of data, multiple sources, nothing matching up. And so it was a real challenge um to get the numbers to add up with currency conversions and get all that data classified in time and make sure it was right um <laughs> i've i don't even know how we did this but we managed to turn around that that whole project within about 4 or 5 weeks which is just i don't even know how we managed it because it nearly broke us um so that was that was a bit of a disaster um, in terms of other like other people's disasters that we've had to come in and fix, um, I did work on a, a database where there was nine different sources of uh, customer information. So I pulled all those together. Um, there's about 2.3 million rows of customer information, but I managed to deduplicate that down to about 1.3 million rows. So um, I gave them one file. With, well, actually, <laughs> it was so big, we had to split it up. But um, yeah, they got they got one consistent file back. So so that was that was a huge um, uh, good bit of uh, news and, and work for them. Yeah, nothing like working with massive data files. I you know when we hire new people at our company and um, they bring their computer, maybe it's a year old or two years old, and they've got like an i five processor with eight ram eight gigs of ram. I'm like nah. That's not going to work. You're going no. to need to go get a really, really powerful machine. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm looking to upgrade, actually. I think I've got 16 gig just now. I'm looking to upgrade to 32. So, 
Yeah, I ended up installing an extra 16 in my 16 so that I could have the 32. And now the spreadsheets seem to be able to fly simultaneously. Nice. Um, So can you tell us a little bit about the actual data challenges that you help your clients to solve? Yeah, so I think, well, the first thing is normalization of suppliers. So I find that there are normally multiple versions of the same suppliers within a data set. So you've got uh, IBM, i.b.m, IBM Inc, IBM Limited, and there's just so many different versions. They don't even know how much they're spending with one supplier. And and if it wasn't procurement, say it was, I don't know, manufacturing, and we were talking about parts and who we were buying parts from, you wouldn't know how, how much you were buying with one supplier. So how can you negotiate better rates and things like that? And then secondly, visibility on spend. So what are you spending your money on? How much in IT? How much in HR? How much in professional services and facilities? They don't know. And so, you know, within a matter of weeks, I can give them that visibility, um, which can, you know, ultimately um, bring cost savings, um, spot any fraudulent activity, any rogue spending, any spending off contract. You know, normally there's preferred suppliers that you have to buy certain items through and and people just do their own thing. Um, But if you don't have the information and the data, then it's very hard to control. Yeah, I I completely agree. And and, and the term normalization brings a, you know, a special feeling to my heart. And, um, you know, a lot of people come to Ringley, they want to just dedupe their database. And I'm like, you know, there's an order of operations for these types of things, right? You don't just go matching and merging and deleting information before you've built a very solid structure for normalizing data like country, uh, company name, you know, states, countries, job titles, all these different field values that can be used for matching data. Yeah. Um, can you tell me a little about what you think is the right order of operations to get from that consolidation of values into maybe merging? So... The way I approach normalization is um, it's not based on like financial relationships, parent child or anything like that. It's it's around making it as easy as possible to classify. So um, I will start by removing any suffixes. So limited inks, um, they tend to be guides for which country the, the company's from. But, you know, there, there are plenty of companies where you know it's the same company. It's just in different countries. Um, And then you have to be a little bit more thorough with um, certain ones. So, um, you know, the reason I've got my wrist strapped up is I've just finished writing my book. And and one of the examples that I give in there is Tinder Corporation. Now, this was for a client in the UK and they were a charity. And I was, you know, I was like, there's no way they're paying Tinder for anything. Not that Tinder. Um, And when I dug a little bit deeper, there's a Tinder Corporation Limited in the UK that provide IT services. So there's a kind of two level, you know, be be thorough in your checks. And I would use things like invoice descriptions to help guide whether the, the, the supplier was the same or not. Um, so that, you know, you could have ABC cars and ABC cars, but one's in the UK and one's in the US. The one in the UK is a taxi company and the one in the US is selling vehicles. So using descriptions and values can help 
get you to that decision. So I'm, I'm not sure if that answers your question. I think it does. I think people really need to know where to start with normalization. Um, you know, just like you said, starting with suffixes and then and working deeper into that. And, yeah. But you did say that you don't use like the hierarchies or you know, do you do you ever find yourself using third party data sources to help with your uh, normalization or is it is it strictly you know logic that you're creating? I don't, and I guess um, I've always you know I find a pretty efficient way to do it, to do it the way I do it, and I think there's there's a bit of a comfort around knowing that it's been manually checked because honestly, even if I did use some software, I would still go through and check every single line personally anyway, um, because I want to make sure it's right before I start classification. And, you know, I can, I mean, I can probably normalize myself up to 10,000 suppliers a day. So it's not too bad. Yeah. That, I mean, you always need a level, there's a level of automation that can be had, right? But yeah, in data, there's always yeah. manual. Um, you know, I am building up a, my own internal master list of supplier names so that um, I can start to help semi-automate that process. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't really thought about external. And also, I, I mean, I've seen other people normalize data and it's never to my standards, if I'm honest. So, for example, you will find things like the suffixes left in. Or, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, no, they have to come out. They're coming out. So, um, and there's a reason for that too. So you have this one, two, three supplier limited this time in your data. But the next time when you get a refresh, it's only called one, two, three supplier. The limited's not there. So if you had t- taken that limited out the first time, then it's going to, you know, then you have a unique normalized supplier because the one, two, three supplier will merge. But if you don't, then you're going to have two versions of the same and you're actually creating time for yourself because you've then got to fix it, either put the limited in or take it out on one of the suppliers. So it, it, for me, it's about s- saving time in the further down the line. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Um, you know, it. a lot of us want to solve these problems of cleaning their data or, you know, we want to classify our data, normalize it. And then, you know, we go up to our CFO or CEO or head of revenue and they're like, data, shmeda, like, I'm not going to buy anything. But how do you, how would you recommend, you know, approaching an executive sponsor on a buyer side to get something like this um, prioritized and, and at the top of mind of people that are making critical decisions? It's so tough. And and I have to be honest, um, most of my clients approach me for help because they're already in trouble. Mm -hmm. And so by that point, there's some project has been delayed or can't happen because the data is not right. And so they're in a position where they're forced to have to pay for the service. Um, It's really hard to kind of be proactive and get that done before there's a need. Um, what I would say is that, yes, your team can absolutely do it, but they have a day job, so it could take you a year. I could do it in a few weeks. Um, I'll, I do this day in, day out, so the accuracy and the consistency will be there. Um, you know, I say to my clients, you know, the cost of my fees 
even if it saved you 1% of your gross turnover, you would still more than make your money back. Um, so try to get them to think about it that way. But really, you have to talk to them uh, in, a, in a way that's, that they can relate to. So, you know, me talking to a senior decision maker about how they're spending hours fixing their spreadsheets, that's, they're not going to relate to that because they've never had to do that. But if I say to them, did you know that, you know, the the analytics that you've been receiving every month with your monthly reporting have been wrong for the past 12 months because your data's not right and you've been making decisions on that, then they're probably going to listen a bit more. Um, and, and also, you know, and it's, it, it is a struggle. And so that's also why I've written the book because, you know, I want them to be able to pick it up and read it and think, okay, I need to take my data more seriously now. Absolutely. What is the name of your book? I love it. It's my favorite. It's called Between the Spreadsheets, Classifying and Fixing Dirty Data. So I love that. That's I, I'm going to have to pick up a copy of that one. I can't wait for it to come out. I'm not sure when it's coming out yet. Um, but again, it's this book, if you've never classified data in your life, you could pick it up, read it and follow the instructions in it and classify data. If you are someone who is already classifying data, you're probably going to get some hints and tips from someone who's been doing this for 10 years that will just help make your process run a bit more efficiently. And if you're a decision maker, you're going to read it and, and read some stories about what happens when data goes wrong and, and the cost to the business. And it's not always financial. It could be reputational as well. Yeah, no, people forget the reputational damage that you can do by, you know, sending multiple invoices or or, or sending promotional material to yeah. customers, right? Personal data, you know, it's you've got to be so careful now. Absolutely. So when somebody comes to you and they want to classify their data and, and, and merge it, but they have dirty data to begin with, like what are the biggest dirty data challenges that make your job more difficult to classify the information? Mainly it's, it's either that the multiple different file sources have different column headers, and sometimes it can be hard to distinguish which are the same columns in different files. Um, and then the second is really poor invoice descriptions. So if you don't have very good descriptions, it's very hard to classify your data in, in a lot of detail. Or the descriptions could be misleading. Things like services or hardware. You know, is it cleaning services? Is it IT services? Or is it tool hardware? Or is it IT hardware? You know, they, they're not particularly useful. So they're the things that make it the hardest. Um, and then, you know, foreign foreign language countries are always a bit of a challenge as well. Yeah. So so when you classify, let's say, industries, um, do you recommend using a specific code structure like NASIC, any of these, or or do you recommend that people create their own industry classifications? I've been finding recently that um, I've been building customized taxonomies for my clients um, so that they can report exactly the way they want to in the detail that they want to. And, um, you know, I've done a lot of work with UNSPSC and, and that goes into a lot of detail, but quite often it's too detailed for the type of data that I'm working with. So it can be a challenge to make it fit sometimes. 
Um, and the UNSPSC, it, you know, is great in areas of things like biology, laboratory, hardware, but marketing, not so good. Yeah, one of my 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 past friends and and, and data gurus was always like, you know, where's the sick code for social media marketing? Yes, there is none. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, you guys obviously have an amazing service to classify data, but um, is that service accompanied by a technology that you source, or or do you use technologies to kind of assist in any of this work? Yeah. So. Uh, the way I work with the clients is they send me an Excel file and then I send them one back. Um, and, and the process in between that um, is manual. But I do use some software called Omniscope, which is data modeling and visualization. And I've developed a methodology to to work in that um, really efficiently and accurately um, in a way that I would say few others could. So that that's my secret sauce, basically. That's amazing. Well, we've, you know, if, if you see uh, the profile for Susan on LinkedIn or anything in any of her, her, her videos or her comments, there's always tons of amazing people, you know, interacting with you. And so you, I, I'm going to take you on that claim that you're one of the very best at, uh, you know, managing that visualization process and, and outputting something really meaningful. for. Yeah, clients. I can spot a, a mistake a mile off now. Well, that's that's amazing. So why is data classification important for companies that are really looking to establish this digital transformation, create digital experiences in, you know, 2021? Okay, so if we look at it from, say, uh, uh, an e-commerce point of view, um, you have a website and you're selling lots of products. You need to categorize those products so that people can find them. You know, if you don't want apples sitting under hardware and, you know, tools sitting in clothing, you know, you need to to have that data correct. And it's the same with things like sales and marketing. So, you know, especially now, you know, there's much more digital marketing going on. You know, we're moving from the old postal ways to to online. And, you know, you need to segment your your customers, so categorizing them in the right areas, you know, you don't want to be sending an old age pensioner um, a school leavers information leaflet or email or something like that. You know, you you need to get your, your categorizations right. Same for uh, planning. If you're in manufacturing, you know, you need to have your, your parts categorized properly so that you can monitor usage and know when you need to order some more stock. And, you know, even things like RPA now, you know, scanning invoices and contracts, you know, it can do a better job than humans. It can be more accurate and it saves us time. And you know, I don't know many humans that really want to be translating um, contracts from PDFs. <laughs> so, um, the, you know, there's there's the time benefit. There's an accuracy benefit. There is a sales benefit. There's a cost benefit. There's a time benefit. Um, you know, it's it just you, you can classify and categorize your data in any way you want and it will help you. You just kind of have to know how you want to slice it and dice it. Yeah, you know, I see a lot of sales and marketing today. It's all about ABM, right? So in ABM, you got to classify 
businesses, right? Are, are businesses the right businesses for you to spend money targeting? And so, you know, you've got to classify them by industry, by finance, by intent. You know, there's probably 10, 15 unique signals that are different across companies that first you have to classify. And that becomes challenging because a lot of the people don't have that data in the first place in the records and they may have to go buy it, but then they get down to the people, right? And they're like, now I want to market to these people. And they're like, well, in ABM, you've got, you're never supposed to just market to one person, right? It's like, you know, four or five, six different roles in departments that have different personas. Now, all three of those classifications come from a job title and a job title could be like, a million different variations. So do you have any advice or are there like any free dictionaries on the market to like really help with normalizing job titles? No, it's not the first time I've heard this query. Um, I think the problem is that job titles are changing so fast as well, like really quickly. Um, and, and then, of course, you get people, these people who, you know, call themselves gurus, you know, what kind of job title is that? Um, so, you know, there, there's a whole load of people out there that have given themselves a job title that doesn't mean anything to anyone. So they're being excluded. Um, I wouldn't even know where to start on that one, I have to admit. Yeah, you know, what we find is that a lot of these marketing ops professionals, they're spending 30%, 40% of their time manually keying in new (laughs) variations of job titles in their normalization programs. And it just, it seems like one of the most time consuming taxing uh, efforts that you could possibly do. And you heard it here from Susan first that it's going to keep changing. And the other thing is that people are changing their jobs far more frequently than they ever used to. So, you know, you should be checking and updating your data every probably six months. You know, yeah, absolutely. I, I literally had a call today, um, and I've I've ended up on some on a calling list about an accident that I had maybe seven or eight years ago. I was a passenger in a car accident, um, and and they're still phoning me asking wow. if been in an accident. Um, so yeah, check your data, people. Yeah, data decay is fun. I, I, I found a clever company called Live Data Technologies, and apparently, what they do is they run a full search engine scan on people at their businesses, yeah. and they can download and then run AI on all of those, you know, all the metadata they find, yeah. and and identify when those people have moved. So it's it's like mm-hmm. they're selling to data companies. Because, you know, think of a, of a third-party data company has 100 million names in their database decaying at 5% a month, maybe maybe wow. 15 during COVID. And this cool technology can go and scour the, the web to find where those people have moved and if they have a new job title. And so I'm just always so impressed by the different yeah, tactics people are that's using. cool. Um, well, you know, we have had an amazing time uh, interviewing you today. And... I would like to ask if you have anything that you want to say to this data-loving audience before we hop off, uh, maybe a tip or a trick or you know, just something to say goodbye. Yeah, well, I can't leave without telling people to make sure that their data has its coat on, like a jacket. Um, so make sure it's consistent, make sure it's organized, make sure it's accurate, and make sure it's trustworthy. 
And once that coat is on, keep it on by maintaining your data. It's not just going to stay that way forever. You have to look after it. So that would be my tip. Absolutely. And if, if I become a client of yours, is it like a, is this like a one-time thing or do I, you know, meet with you once every three to six months to maintain that classification? So each client is different. Um, I like to say to my clients that, you know, ultimately I want them to take back responsibility and ownership of their data and manage it. But what I can do is train up their team over a period of several months to actually manage that process and get them up to speed. Um, because nobody will ever know your data better than than you within your own organization. Um, and that's the goal is to, to have everybody in their own organizations looking after their own data. So, so not only are you an amazing, you know, data whisperer or, you know, guru, but you also care about the people that you're working with. You're not just trying to get reoccurring revenue. You're truly I'm trying, trying to, help. to put myself out of a job. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. We need more people like you in this world. Yeah, I've got loads of other ideas if I ever have to, you know, I don't think I'll ever be a racing driver, but um, yeah, I've got, I've got a few ideas, but yeah, I, I'm constantly trying to, to like get into the doors of one of the racing companies as well. One day. Well, you have the, you have the, the background in sales as well. So I'm, I'm sure that serves you well in finding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Susan, have a wonderful day and thank much. you everybody for tuning in. Thank you.